The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Well, it's been the most uh, marvelous um, blessing of my life to be on this um, call um, these weeks. And, um, and as we close out tonight, I just, as we think about our last um, uh, study on living holiness and discipleship and what that means. And, and Cricket so sweetly, um, after she sh- realized what was happening on Thursday, she offered to, to take um, the Bible study, which was a huge relief. At first I was like, okay. And then I realized, oh my word, <laughs> I have so much studying to do. And um, so, um, so, but um, Cricket is so led by the Holy Spirit. She was like, if there's anything you feel like you need to share, um, share it. And so there was one story that I just really wanted to share about how the Lord helped me to realize how much discipleship is a key in our growth in holiness and our going on in holiness. And um, so um, in 2010, as you know, um, the, the economy in the U.S. was reeling from um, the fall of the stock market crash and everything. So we were um, trying to get back to Brazil, but we hadn't raised our funds. And I was just fussing and complaining to the Lord. Like I just knew the Lord could do it if he wanted to, you know, (laughs) but it came to the date we're supposed to um, fly out on um, the 6th of June. And we had round trip tickets and we weren't released to go. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Um, And (laughs) anyway, I was just sure I was just not very happy. So, um, but the Lord was about to give me two precious gifts. Um, And I don't know in your life, if there's things that keep coming up that, that the Lord has to kind of help you with and that, but that finally he does something that settles the question, settles it for once and for all. This is what he was about to do. He was about to settle for once and all, just my um, questioning timing. Um, So I had no idea that in two weeks from that um, disappointment that we couldn't go back, that my father would be ushered into heaven so unexpectedly. He had Alzheimer's, he was healthy, but because we couldn't go back, we decided to go to Wilmore camp meeting where my brother was preaching and on Father's Day, he honored my father and on Monday, my father fell and he was in heaven within six hours. And I just can't thank Jesus enough for letting us be there because there wouldn't have been time to come back from Brazil. Then um, um, as things went on, um, we still were, you know, we're raising funds and stuff. And so we finally were so close. We were about um, just about a thousand dollars. We're like, oh, Jesus going to do that, you know, quick. And um, so um, my sister, who's also a missionary in Brazil, she was at home in, in the States. And she said, Grace, before you guys leave, <laughs> there's not many people that are willing to stay with my four boys for the weekend. Would you stay with them? Well, Dan and I go on a weekend. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> I tell you what, that weekend with those four boys and my kids revealed things things in my heart that were not pretty. In fact, I wrote about it. I found I found my journal, and it said um, 
Jesus, can you help me with this laundry list of negative stuff in my heart? Um, resentment, um, anger, impatience, grouchiness. Um, I have a, a anxiety, arrogance. I just had this long list. I said, Jesus, is there no hope for me? And as I struggled with it, I went to um, church that Sunday there in Spring Arbor, in a little town where the Free Methodist um, uh, University is. And um, that day, I even sat in church. I, missionaries, I don't know, I, I shouldn't say all missionaries, but sometimes we come back to the States kind of like real critical of stuff and it's really bad. So I was sitting there just kind of criticizing the music, criticizing everything and I was sitting there <laughs> And Jesus was about ready to just give me a message I needed to hear. So Doc, uh, Pastor uh, uh, Van Valen said, he said, ardent preaching and holiness has little effect. What will change your life is a group of three to four people where you confess your sins and they pray for you. And he said, Wesley called this the bands. And I'm like, I'm sure I heard about those, but maybe that was back in Dr. Coppage's class <laughs> and I kind of forgot what they were or they were only for a test or something. And as Jesus began to speak to my heart, I said, Jesus, I need, I want a group like that. Would you help me find a group like that? So I got back to Brazil like two weeks later and there were no Wesleyan missionaries except for us. And, um, um, and other missionary ladies I knew, they were kind of busy in their own thing. And I said, Jesus, who? So there were two precious Wesleyan Brazilian um, pastor's wives. Uh, and I went to them. I said, would you be willing? And, um, and they were like, yes. And so I didn't do anything for a while. I kind of just want to make sure it wasn't me pushing it. And in, in, in about a week, they were like, when are we going to start, Grace? <laughs> so we started. And we've met for 10 years. And um, one of those precious friends um, had some health problems. So she stopped meeting with uh, me and Rosemary um, about, about a year and a half ago. And, and she actually passed away with COVID uh, in January. And um, so Ro uh, Rosemary and I always are thinking about who we can add to that. But let me just share with the, the, the questions that we talk about. And these are based on four, John Wesley's four questions. And we've adapted them a little bit. So I'm gonna read those to you. And this is what we um, talk about. And I wanna tell you, I was told some years ago as a missionary, you can't get too close and personal because then people will know you're false. And I'm like, who cares, you know, anyway. So um, I was so glad that these Brazilian ladies were ready to even get to know this North American missionary who kind of couldn't talk Portuguese that well and who would just invest in me and pray for me. So these are the questions. Um, what known sins have you committed since the last meeting and what can we do about it? Uh, what are the temptations that you are facing this week and how were you freed from those temptations? What things have you thought, said, or did that you're not certain if they were sin or not. Um, what is God doing in your life? And what are some spiritual goals uh, you have and how can we help? And the last question is talk about an experience with the Lord 
you've had recently and how did you sense God was present and speaking to you? We all like that one better than the other ones. <laughs> but I tell you what, what Jesus did, he freed me from so much junk. Um, I, I think that the, the devil hoodwinks us thinking that somehow if we hide something or if we're ashamed or we covered up somehow <laughs> that's okay. So I, I discovered that once I brought something into the light, his hold was gone. There was freedom. And I think that's the thing that maybe sometimes we're afraid of. We're afraid, what will people think? <laughs> and I tell you what, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. The Lord freed me from that, that spiritual pride that says I've got to kind of look a certain way and act a certain way. And, and as people would say, you know, what if one of these precious two ladies who wouldn't say, wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't share what I share with them with anyone else. But if they did, I mean, if like in a slip up, it would matter. It just wouldn't matter because I could say, oh my goodness, Jesus is helping me <laughs> become more like him. And, you know, I was thinking about the scripture um, that we read in, in, in Ephesians. It just really struck me so beautifully. The very last verse in, in chapter four that said, um, be kind to another, one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And I thought that's what happens to us when we're confessing our sins to one another, forgiving one another, helping one another. We become tender because we're sorrowful for what we are doing. And we're so thankful that Jesus is, is, is doing a work. And um, earlier in four, you can see that the opposite of that is a hard heart, a calloused heart. And when we come to people that we can confess to them, it, it takes away our hardness. It just, it just takes away the, um, just the resistance, I think, um, to the devil or to the Lord and the devil, he's, he's conquered. It's just so sweet. And I just want to share one more story because I love this. And, I, and um, um, Linda shared um, uh, Isabel Kuhn. If you have a chance to read by searching, and I believe this comes from that book and Linda, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in there, she is filling out her, um, I think her, um, a form uh, to go to, to the, to, to be missionary. And so she had to get kind of recommendations and she got one back that was very negative. That talked about what kind of, you know, how she talked or, I, I can't remember exactly. I couldn't find the book because my, my daughter stole it, took it to swoo. <laughs> anyway, um, and she was so upset. She was just, just angry. She couldn't forgive that man or woman or whoever it was. And she just couldn't get over it. So she finally went to someone, her spiritual mentor, and said, you know, this person has just said this about me. It's just, I can't believe it. I just can't. And he said, Isabel, your problem is spiritual pride. In fact, your reaction should be to this person. You don't know the half of it. <laughs> There's a whole lot more. And not that that should make us uh, negative, but I think what happens is we need to get real with ourselves and get real with others and say, I need Jesus to come in here 
I have this tongue. I have this critical spirit. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? <laughs> and you know, I haven't had my, those precious friends never looked at me like, oh, I can't believe you're, <laughs> they're like, we understand, we know, and we will pray. So I just want to encourage you, if, um, if you're in a group, praise Jesus and, and use that group to help you. If you're not, pray about maybe who might be able to join you in this journey, um, because we all don't want to be stuck in where we are. We want to go, on, go ahead to holiness, and discipleship is God's precious way to do that. Okay, Cricket, I'm done. Grace, thank you so much. And um, I, if you have your Bibles and want to look at Hebrews 5, I was doing the homework that Grace assigned us this week, and I couldn't get over this chapter. I had never thought about it in terms of discipleship before. And once I did, oh my goodness, the, the spotlight into my own soul this week has been um, penetrating. <laughs> um, I want us to work. She gave us the assignment to look at Hebrews 5, 10. I think we'll start in verse 9 and go through 6, 11 or 6, 12. And I want us to walk our way through there. And what it basically does is it talks about two kinds of life. And one of the things I, th I love about this study is that we are learning what it means to live a spirit-filled life, right? Because it is when the Holy One indwells us that we begin to take on the character of, of, of him. And so holiness is not something that's given to us. It's not something, it is his living presence inside of us. And I love the stories in Acts because one thing that we know is that there is no indication in Acts anywhere that the Holy Spirit is something we grow into, right? He is a person just like the father and the son. So when we invite the Holy Spirit to be the indwelling Holy One in us, to live in us, to cleanse us, then he comes in an instant, he comes. Because just like when we encounter Jesus and we encounter him, we confess our sins, we give our lives to him in the same way. Remember in Acts when, the, when Paul would go and he would say, have you been filled with the spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He said, you can be filled with all the fullness of God. You can be filled with the Holy One. I love the story of Mary Magdalene. I've been reading the resurrection stories um, and the story of Mary Magdalene. And remember after Jesus meets her and then he says, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. And he knew that once he had ascended to the father, the Holy Spirit would be given and Mary would know an intimacy with God she had never known before. And we live in that resurrection time where the Holy Spirit has been given and he's offered to us. So holiness is this sense of letting him be Lord in our lives, letting Jesus reign and reign supreme. And it requires this act of utter surrender and devotion, not just coming to him and saying, I need my sins forgiven, but actually saying, you are Lord. 
and I want to acknowledge you as Lord, and I want to bow the knee in every part of my life. And when we do that, then all of a sudden we have the joy of beginning to live as a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus. And that's what we want to look at tonight. Being a, being a disciple of Jesus is not like, oh, I'm trying hard, or I'm going through all the spiritual gifts, or I'm doing all the spiritual formation things I need to do. It's not things I'm checking off a list. Being a spirit-filled disciple is being filled with the spirit of Jesus and then letting him transform us from the inside out. And that's what I think this Hebrews 5 and 6 shows us how to do. And, um, and I haven't been able to get over it. I just have been reading it over and over. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then we'll talk about it and then, um, and then go and then just work our way through it. Um, Hebrews 5, 8 says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. And these are the two things I want to talk about as we begin to be a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus means that we bring all of our life under his control, and then we begin to discipline our lives so that we can live as a disciple of Jesus. So, so a lot of times we want an experience. We want to feel good. We want to go to a religious experience, have the experience, right? And feel good. But when it comes to actually living, we kind of want to revert to the old ways. Being a spirit-filled disciple means we say we're all in. All of life, all of life is going to be built around Jesus himself. And this, this relationship we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm going to, I am, I have, and this is the beautiful thing. We have the choice to be the kind of women we, we choose to be, right? We have the free will to say, I want to be a Jesus woman in every area of my life. And so what does it mean for me to be a disciple of Jesus? And the first thing it says is obedience. The first thing it says is that he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And then it says, but we have so much to say to you and we're having trouble saying it because you have become dull of hearing. I think sometimes we have a religious experience, even an experience of, of, of full surrender. And then we just go back to living the, the normal way without following in to be a disciple. And um, we become dull of hearing. Sometimes because of our different traditions or how people have emphasized the spirit filled life or not emphasized it, we kind of think it's a tack on. Like I'm going to get my sins forgiven. I'm going to get into heaven, but really being filled with the Holy Spirit and being transformed by his living presence is not necessary for the Christian life. I had the horrible experience this week. I don't even know how to tell you of listening to a story of a person who allowed a little bit of self-interest in her life. And that little bit of self-interest began to snowball. And then the snowball began to wipe out every single relationship in her life, every single one. And you know what? She didn't start um, in gross immorality. She didn't start by saying, oh, no, I don't want Jesus. She just began to indulge self-interest. And she did it and did it and did it without ever repenting and then ruined everyone in her path. And I was so horrified after I heard the story that I went home and I got my Bible and I said, okay, Jesus, what do you need to say to me? Where, like Grace said, do you need to shine the light 
of your word in my heart? Are there any places in my life I have become dull of hearing? And do you know what happened? This is just this week. I wish it was 10 years ago, like Grace, but it's just this week. Uh, Jesus began, he said, he put a name on my heart. And he said, you have let a root of bitterness come in this relationship and you need to make it right. And here's the sweet thing about Jesus and the sweet thing about obedience, that the longer I walk with Jesus, the, the sweeter it gets, is that when he gives us a big job to do, he gives the grace to do it. So the next day I walked into the office and all I could think about was this person and getting on my email, right? So of course I was like, do I call? Do I email? Jesus said, I want you to email. Don't take them by surprise. I want you to email. So I sat at my computer. I said, Jesus, what words do I say? He gave me the words to say. I wrote the email. I prayed. I pushed send. You know, you know how this goes, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden there was this sense of I obeyed. Whatever comes of it, that chain in my heart is gone. And here's the funny thing that happened. I'm sitting there instantaneously. I hadn't, this hadn't come to my mind before Jesus said, what about this person? And I said, well, I'm going to send an email to that person too. So there I sat and I said, I don't want. I want to walk in the light because being a spirit-filled woman means I let the light shine in every relationship, in every corner, in every area. And it means I'm willing to keep on doing it. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more hurts that life brings. I'm willing to say, it doesn't matter if I'm misunderstood. It doesn't matter if I'm imposed upon. It doesn't matter what people think of me. What matters is that I keep Jesus as the center. And there were four people that I either had to say, you know what, I'm sorry, or I had to say, the, the person who's been the center of this relationship is me, and that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Jesus. And as he's begun to get, all of a sudden, there's been a sweetness with him, a sweetness that says, as you keep on obeying and walking in the light, then I'm going to keep showing you the next step and the next step. If there are areas we become dull of hearing and we just keep doing what we always do, responding how we always respond, never pressing in, then the, the devil is, then the devil says, I don't care if they're sanctified as long as they keep going around the same mountain over and over and over again. The ones he's afraid of are the ones that are going to say, wait a minute. I don't want that. I don't want to hurt the people I love. I don't want to destroy the people I love. I want to press in to all that this spirit-filled life means. Every corner, no matter what it costs. I kept thinking about Philippians 2. And Jesus, I, I, I can't, I, I really, this seems so amazing to me. I'm going to read it so because I don't, um, because I don't want to mess it up. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He had all the rights. He had all the privileges. He had all the power. He had all the authority, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of you and me. And then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Jesus kept saying to me, he said, cricket. I did it. Why is it so hard for you? Why is it so hard for you to be imposed upon? Why is it so hard for you? I can do something deeper in you that gives you that same kind of freedom that I had. And this is what I think he means by being a spirit-filled disciple, where we keep pressing in and allowing him to do the deeper work in our heart.
Then in verse 12, for though by the time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the first principles. And have you ever been in this situation? You're like, I've been in Bible study for 25 years, but I don't seem to be going anywhere, right? I keep hearing and hearing, but there doesn't seem to be any fruit in my life. And Jesus says, grow up. And I keep coming back to this. We are mountain climbers. We are, we, we kind of, we want him to make us comfortable and secure and have it all in order. And he says, oh no, no, it is one, one peak to climb. And then the next peak to climb. And are you willing to push and discipline? And I love the verse that Grace had us read last week, second, first Corinthians nine, which says like an athlete, I discipline myself so that I, after preaching to others will not be disqualified. And I think that's, are we growing? Are we going on to the next level? And then are we looking for those around us to say, oh, I was just there. Come along with me. Jesus answered that prayer in my life and he can set you free. He can set you free from anxiety. He can set you free from control. He can set you free from fear. He can help you release your children. As we then say, no, he can do it. And we say it to the next generation. Then all of a sudden we're there's a whole cloud of witnesses and we're going together. So not only are we, are we are becoming teachers of the word of God. And then the next thing he says, you still need milk, but not solid food. And this is one of the things I think that, um, what does it mean as we, as a disciple of Jesus, a spirit filled disciple of Jesus, are we desiring this, a deeper level of spiritual commitment, a deeper level of theological training, a deeper level of understanding. I love this about my grandfather. I have in my journal. So P Papa was like two months from going to heaven. And I, and I wrote, Papa's trying to figure out the nature of reality or Papa's trying to figure out the linguistic basis for reality or Papa's trying to figure out the Hebrew of this or that. There was this constant sense of, I wonder how this piece fits with this piece. Are we trying to put the bigger pieces of God's story together? Are we looking at uh, what's happening in maybe science or what's happening in um, literature? Are we saying, wait a minute, all of these things are related to God's story and how can we use them to, to win other people to Jesus? And then I think we, we have this sense of if we're growing up, going on to maturity, eating solid food, what does it mean? How are we building our lives so that um, we have all that nourishment? Who do we need to ask to hold us accountable? And it ha we have to pray about it so we know it's safe and we know they will pray for us. And so we can take our time and say, Jesus, who do you want us to be in a small group with? Are we in the word every day? Are we memorizing the word? Are we meditating on the word? Are we regular in our prayer? Are we regular in our giving? We begin to build into our lives those practices that keep our hearts on him. And that's what I think as we require more and more spiritual food. So there becomes a sense like in giving, like if all of a sudden you're able to share and give for love of Jesus, you're like, oh, I want to give more, right? There's kind of like this sense of the more I read the scripture, the more hungry I get, the more time I spend with him in prayer, the more I want to be with him in prayer, the deeper I go with him, the more that appetite grows. We become um, desirous of the meat and potatoes of spiritual life. And then listen to the next thing that this says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. 
Now, I thought this was so funny because unskilled is a, is a practice word. Like if I want to become a basket weaver, I'm going to become a basket weaver because I practice. If I want to become a piano player like Linda, I'm going to do that by practicing. I'm going to gather a skill by doing it over and over. It is possible for disciples of Jesus who are spirit-filled to be skilled in the word of righteousness. And you know, righteousness is right relatedness. So we, we allow his word to transform us and then it affects how we relate to other people. And we can practice it. I love that idea, right? I don't have to know it all up front. I can practice. That person is a little hard for me to relate to. Jesus, what do I do? And then I listen to his voice and I love that person in the way that he tells me. Then I meet somebody over here and they're kind of like that one. I say, oh, I know, wait, I know what to do because I just love this one in Jesus name. So I know better. And we begin to build the skills of righteousness. Isn't that a sweet thing? And I love that because there's a sense, not of perfect performance, girls get it right. There's a sense of growing, learning, becoming skilled at right relatedness. That's what I felt like he was helping me do this week. Um, then it says in verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, listen to this word. I never saw this verse before. That is those who by reason of youth, use, have, made, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay, I love this. Being a disciple of Jesus who's spirit-filled is a whole body experience, right? And it is possible by practicing, by being in his presence, by being filled with his Holy Spirit, that our senses, our eyes, our ears, our touch, our smell, our taste can be able to discern whether something is good or evil. And in this day and age, I think this is essential, right? The more I live in his presence, the more I allow him to transform my body. I can walk into a room and say, wait a minute, something isn't right. I can be watching TV and all of a sudden Jesus says, turn it off. And sometimes this happened to me this fall. I was watching Hallmark and he said, turn it off. There's, it doesn't have to be something that's horrific, but all of a sudden we just say, no, no, that no, he says no. As we listen to the spirit, our senses can become tools of his grace, right? And I love, I think that's amazing that so our mind, our hearts, our bodies can be trained by his Holy Spirit to be sensitive. So we walk into a room and we can know where are the spiritual needs and how does he want to use us in each and every situation. It's not because there's some kind of spiritual giftedness. It's because he is indwelling us and training our senses to follow him. Then in verse six, it says, therefore leaving in verse chapter six, verse one, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Don't you love it? Like that mountain climbing. Don't stay on the same level. Climb, go on, press on upward, inward. This redemptive story is as big as the universe. Don't stop exploring. Don't stop learning. Don't get stuck in a rut. Allow him to change you from the inside out at every stage of life, in every experience. And um, it says, don't, don't keep talking about um, the, the simple things, right? The foundation of repentance, um, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Don't keep laying that foundation over and over. Go into the deeper things. 
What does it mean to be like God? What does it mean to have his spirit dwelling in us? What does it mean for the intimacy that was known in the Garden of Eden to be known in our own hearts? Um, and then it says in verse four, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance because they crucify the son of God and put him to an open shame. And then it, go, it goes on and it says, and they bear thorns and briars. Once we've entered in the spirit-filled life and we have begun and we said, we want to be a disciple. And then we turn our faces away and say, wait a minute, it's too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. Then what do we do? We put Jesus to an open shame. All of us have known, right? People who have lived and talked about Jesus and done all the things. And then all of a sudden in their life was something that, that undercut the whole message of Jesus. And that is so just even in the last few months, right? That has been in the news. And then all of a sudden it's putting Jesus to an open shame and it bears thorns and briars. And do you know what? I think we can come to the place that well, I'm filled with the spirit and I'm his. I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm not, I don't really have to worry about temptation. One of the things I think this is one of the things Grace is saying is be careful, be on your guard. Put within your life the, the, the parameters that will help keep you safe, right? Get an accountability group. Because I'm finding that the temptations of middle age are temptations I never dreamed about, right? And they're pretty intense and they're catching me by surprise. And the best way to handle it is to be very honest and to have someone I can say, wait a minute, to have someone I, I need to be accountable and then I need you to pray for me. And I think if we think, like Grace said, if we think, oh, we're too embarrassed or we should be way beyond that, or I think we need to be able to say, Jesus, you hold us faithful and you provide all the things that we need so our lives are protected. So we do not put Jesus to an open shame. Um, and we make it all the way to the end. I remember this a little story on my mama. I remember when she turned 70 and um, I, she was struggling physically a little bit. And I remember... Um, she, she began, she read Patricia St. John's Missing the Way. And she said, now I'm getting to be older and I don't want to lose his presence. And I don't want, I want to be faithful all the way to the end of my life. And Patricia St. John had gone through all the, all the sins of the Israelites where they had been on the right path and then they'd missed the way. She said, I don't want any of that in my life. And I thought it was so funny because um, in my mom's life, she's been such a clear witness of Jesus's love to me. And there she was at the age of 70, guarding her heart, guarding her mind, keeping Jesus first. And I think that has to be the commitment. That is what being a spirit-filled disciple says. We never get to the place where we're too old to say, no, we're, we're keeping his presence first. My grandmommy has a sign in her house and it says, pay any price to keep his touch. And there's the sense for a spirit-filled disciple that that is what life is about, keeping that face-to-face -face presence of Jesus. And then, um, and then in verse 9, it's 6, 9, it says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. We don't have to be afraid. God is able to keep us. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this matter. 
For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. I love this because he says the warning, be careful. And then he says, but God, God remembers. He remembers all your works of love, all your labor um, and everything that you've done in his name. It's almost as if God is keeping a record. I saw that love gift. I saw that act of kindness. I saw that, um, that love gift you gave to your grandchild. I saw that, that, that loving thing that you did in the grocery store. Jesus is saying, I am keeping a record of all those things. I remember most, some of you may know Janice McCammon. I, she may be on tonight, but she has written beautiful poetry and out of a life of caregiving and service has come this beautiful work of poetry. And one of my favorite poems that she's written is the story of the Good Samaritan. And remember the Good Samaritan, he picks up the wounded man and he takes him to the innkeeper and they bind his wounds and pour oil on him. And then the Good Samaritan says to the innkeeper, here is money, spend this money on his care and whatever else you spend, I will return and repay you. And she said, there are some, I mean, she said it in poetry and it was beautiful, but she said, there are some who, who have given out more than they've been given, who God has asked of them something very, very costly, but he will come again and he will make it all right. He will make, he will, um, he will restore all that has been poured out. That is the witness of Miss Janice's life. And not only Miss Janice, but others on this call where there's this sense of I am living. And this is the next verse. And we desire that each of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That there's this diligence. I'm going to take care of the one he's given me to take care of all the way till the end. Even if the money runs out, I'm just going to keep on doing it, knowing that he will come again and he will make it all right and provide all that I have needed and cover all the expenses of this assignment. Don't you love that? Living in hope. And then this passage in Hebrews, I love how this ends. It says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises that you do not become sluggish. There can be a sense if God has given us a big assignment, we've run out of money, there's no more resources, we're tired, we're grumpy, God hasn't provided, it's not gone well, I don't want to do this anymore. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 keep holding on, keep giving it all your best, keep working hard, keep giving all your resources with the hope that I will return. No sluggishness. I think everything in our society tends towards spiritual sluggishness, right? Frantic activity and spiritual sluggishness. And to be honest, we can turn on our phones, right? And in five minutes, we are distracted or we're watching the news or we're checking Facebook or we're checking our email, a constant distraction that causes a spiritual lethargy. We're like, what was I thinking? And what was Jesus saying to me? And how do I stay focused? And and Jesus says, to be a disciple of me means you say, for when I, when he said, when he calls us by name, we lay it all aside, right? 
And then we said, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? And sometimes we don't know. Sometimes there are seasons in life where things are so hard, it gets so foggy that we feel sluggish. We don't know. We can't see the way the resources have run out. And this is what I love. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That is why at Titus, right, we have all, we have these resources like Amy Carmichael or Helen Rosevere or Sam Brangle or Isabel Kuhn. They are people who have, who have been faithful all the way through their lives. And we read their stories to know that it's possible. We read their stories to say, oh, but God helped her. He can help me too. And then we look around us and we say, well, Jesus is helping her in an even more difficult situation than mine. So I bet he could help me too. Or we look at ones that say, I don't know how she does it, but she is sweet as she can be. We look at those to whom what seems to us the very worst has happened and they can't stop talking about Jesus. And then we just say, well, I can't see my way very well here, but I can see what she's doing and I'm just going to do exactly what she does. When my youngest sister was filled with the spirit, she was trying to have her devotions. She was trying to become a spirit filled disciple of Jesus and she didn't know how to do it. And so she said, well, mom, I know what mom does. She just gets all the Jesus books she can find because my mom would always have all kinds of devotional books and she just lays them out and then she reads them all. And so Susanna just found all the devotional books in the house and laid them all out and just began reading one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? And what was she doing? Imitating her mother imitating someone who had gone before that sometimes sometimes in order to not become sluggish as disciples we imitate those and sometimes those who are coming behind us imitate us and that I think that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that there's this constant sense that we are in this together we are not alone and as we keep journeying deeper in, further up and deeper in, there comes a strengthening because we do it together. And we do it, um, we do it together with the women around us. We do it also with authors who have already gone into heaven. We do it um, with our own time with Jesus, but we also do it with corporate time with Jesus. We build into our lives all that is necessary to keep him at the center. In our culture right now too, that is, that is threatened. No Bible studies, no church or up and down. So there has to be an intentionality, a discipline that says, I'm going to do everything I can to make Jesus the center. As we close tonight, I don't want to be too long, but as we close tonight, I want us to look at John 19. Because ultimately, and this won't be long, this is just one snapshot of a picture of four women who were disciples of Jesus. And um, I love this story. I keep coming back to this story over and over again. And as I've been preparing for... Um, as I've been preparing for Holy Week, um, I keep, I've been reading about the trials of Jesus in all the different gospel stories. And um, I've been amazed again by kind of the horror and uh, the nonsense that got Jesus um, all the way to the crucifixion, right? It was just made up nonsense. And all of a sudden this year, I, I um, sensed it in a deeper way than ever before. And I thought, oh, how is it possible that, that that John 19, we end up here, Jesus on the cross. But here's, here's the interesting thing to me. Jesus is on the cross in John 19, verse 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother 
And the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he just said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Here's what I love is that you have four women at the cross and one, one official disciple. But you have four women who have faithfully followed Jesus all throughout his ministry. And they are the only ones that we have on record besides John who are at the cross. And here's the interesting thing. They, okay, first of all, it's his mother. And you can't even, um, we can't even imagine the horror in her heart, the disappointment, the the confusion, the fear, the panic. What I love about Mary in this moment is she's not, um, she's not arguing. She's not yelling. She's tr trying to get it to stop. She is standing so he can see her face. And I think in her mind, there was this sense, the last face he sees is going to be my face. So she is standing in the sight line of her son as he's on the cross. And next to her is her sister. I love this. It's possible that her sister, I didn't know this until I was researching, but it's possible that her sister is the mother of James and John, Salome, who's the wife of, of Zebedee. So it is possible that they, they were sisters and John and Jesus were cousins. And I love this. Can you imagine being Mary's sister? I kept thinking about that all week. Wonder what it would have been like to be Mary's sister. That would have been a hard position, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, Mary's at the cross and her sister says, if you have to be there, I have to be there. I will not leave you. And then the next one is Mary, the wife of Clopas. And they think that Clopas is the, is the same as Cleopas who was on the Emmaus walk. So this is interesting to me because you have the wife at the cross and you have the husband, possibly one of the ones whom Jesus appeared to on the Emmaus walk. Can you imagine what their conversations were like? That was a couple who was right in the middle of the purposes of God. And then the last one, you have Mary Magdalene and she's not related to anyone. She just is passionately devoted to Jesus. And she's in every resurrection story. She never leaves. She is the constant factor in all the stories. And there they stand, four disciples of Jesus, five disciples, because there's John. And do you know what? Because ultimately being a disciple about, of Jesus is about Jesus and what, who he is and what he wants to do in us, but even more than that in our world. And so there are five disciples under the cross standing in his sight line so he can see their face and he's looking out and all of a sudden he sees them and he sees his mother and his very last act is to take care of her. And I think that the promise to any disciple of Jesus is if we give him all of us and if we bring ourselves under his authority, control, lordship and reign, he will take care of us. We can count on it. He will not leave us alone. He will provide all that is needed and we can live in hope and expectation of his goodness. And what I love about that is he takes care of Mary and then he gives John direction, right? This is what I want you to do. I'm gonna take care. I'm gonna make provision where provision's needed and I'm gonna give direction where direction's needed. And so as they stand there, the last act of Jesus is to engage with these disciples. What I love, though, is anytime Jesus is at work personally with us in the life of the disciple, 
he's at work in the larger eternal story. So just look at these three snapshots of what's happening all around these five disciples. Right before this, in verse 22 to 24, um, Pilate has put up the sign, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. And then Jesus is there and he is naked. And underneath the cross, they are gambling for his clothes. And all of a sudden, remember in Eden, no clothes. There's a vulnerability and there's no shame. And now all of a sudden you have all the vulnerability and all the shame. And the soldiers are making light of it and they are flippant about it and they are trying to get his clothes. And Jesus is hanging there, vulnerable to all the sin of the world, to all the humiliation and exposure of the world. But, but the curse is beginning to work backwards, as C.S. Lewis says. And the curse that occurred in the garden is beginning to work backwards as Jesus hangs there. And then we have the little story of the disciples. And then in 28 through 30, Jesus says, I am thirsty. And all through the book of John, you have this, the water of life, right? Come to me and I will give you the water of life that will spring up to eternal life. In verse, in chapter four with the Samaritan woman, in chapter seven, when he stands up at the feast and says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And then you have this wellspring of eternal life, all of a sudden saying, I'm thirsty. And all the sin and death of the world sucks the life of God out of him. And the, the, the curse begins to enter into Jesus's body in every possible way. And the last thing he says is it is finished and he, and, he, and he bows his head and it's over. The very, before it's finished, the very last thing he says is I'm thirsty. And then the water of, the, the, the giver of the water of life, he runs dry. There's the sense, the five disciples are there. They are with him in that moment. And then the last thing that happens as the disciples are standing there and they're with Jesus, it is the day of preparation, right? So it's Saturday or it's Friday and it's on the eve of the Sabbath. So the next day is Sabbath, but it's not only Sabbath, it's the beginning of Passover. So for the whole next week, they're going to celebrate Passover. And of course, you know what Passover is. It's all the way back from Exodus where the Passover angel comes. And if the blood of the lamb is on the doorpost, then he will pass over that house, right? So we have now Jesus here. And I've always thought of Jesus in terms of the Passover lamb. I was having a conversation with my son, not about this passage, but about Passover and the Egyptians. And he said to me, mom, I'm a firstborn son. And if I had been in Egypt, I would have died. And it troubled me. The conversation troubled me. And I tried to think my way theologically and respond to my 21-year-old son. And how do I handle this? And how do I hear what his heart is saying? And I, then I came to this passage. And then it said that the Jews, because it was the day of Passover, they wanted to make sure the bodies were taken down so they didn't violate Passover. And this is what Jesus said to my heart. He said, cricket, I'm not just the Passover lamb. I'm the firstborn son. The redemption of the world includes everyone. It included the Jewish people. It included the Egyptians. It was the firstborn son who hung on the cross. 
all of the world is included in this eternal redemption story. And you know what, when I put those three things together, the vulnerability that he felt and the beginning of the curse working backwards from Eden, the drying up of the water of life so that the water of life could begin to flow again from, when, from his resurrection life. And then the Passover, the firstborn son that this eternal, this was for all the world. All of a sudden I thought, and then there were the disciples. They were with him in his moment of suffering. And I think that any spirit-filled disciple says, this is not about me. It's about Jesus. And it's about this eternal story. And he comes to us and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And we find ourselves completed. We find ourselves filled with joy, peace, hope, expectation. But more than that, he says, I want to write you into this eternal story, which reverses the curse which provides the forgiveness of sins, provides the water of life, and includes the entire world. And I think that any disciple of Jesus um, who is filled with his Holy Spirit gets caught up into this redemption story. So you might be in Pennsylvania, or you might be in Maryland, or you might be in California, or Brazil, or Kentucky, and Jesus says, I want not only to do something for you, I want to involve you in my story, which is the salvation of the whole world, because this is always bigger than ourselves. So as we come to the close of our time together, we want our hearts to be focused on him. We want our hearts to be focused on um, Holy Week. What does he need to do in us so that we press on to that next? Um, well, if we've never been filled with the spirit, we invite his spirit in. And if you've never been filled with the spirit and you need someone to pray with you, we are available to pray with you or reach out to a friend who you know knows Jesus and ask her to pray with you. Um, but then if you sense in your life, wait a minute, there are areas that the spirit needs to deal with me. Don't waste any time. It's holy. Let it be this week where all of a sudden you say, I want him I want him to just search out any place in me that's not clean and make it right so that I can be part of his eternal story. We don't want to miss the moments because of fear or self-protection or anxiety. We want to be in his sight line, right? As he looks out over his world in these days, we want to be in his sight line. He says, oh, they're my girls. And I, I know that they will be present with me and they will do what I will ask them to do. And that, that is the joy of our lives. I've asked Grace if she's still with us, if she would close us in prayer, and then Linda's going to lead us in worship to close. I'm with you. Okay. Wow. Let's come to Jesus um, as we bow right now. Um, let's just, just, I think, picture him looking at us with love uh, from the cross um, as he gave himself so that we could know him. Jesus, Jesus, we just thank you. Our hearts are overwhelmed at the gift that you have given us, that we can know you and walk with you and imitate you and uh, let you flow through us in ways that only <laughs> you can flow through. And I just thank you, Jesus, for these precious reminders in these scriptures, Jesus, of how you want to uh, 
um, you don't want us to be sluggish. You don't want us to be um, unsensible, unskilled, but you want to come, Jesus, so that we are alive and we are, we are so hooked into you, Jesus. We can, we can just be talking to you all the time and you will be speaking to us. So Jesus, we come as we think about discipleship, Jesus, we want to walk with you. And Jesus, if there is someone that needs to walk with us, would you help us find those people, Jesus, so that we can not only <laughs> love others, but we can also be loved by others. Not only that we can encourage others, but that we can be encouraged by others. And that Jesus, we can be free of things that you want us to be free of. So we just pray, Jesus, just, we just ask that you would lead us and guide us and, and that we can live in holiness as we live in discipleship with you. And Jesus, I don't know. I think there's a lot of precious women on here who are so um, full of you and, and so walking with you that they maybe need, if you could bring to them younger women or other women that need someone to come alongside. Uh, sometimes we don't know how to ask people. Sometimes we don't know who needs any anything, but that which you would open up these ways that whether through Zoom, I, we don't know how you would do it, phone calls, porch meetings, <laughs> that you would just help us to be disciplers, Jesus that we would be pouring into other people who so much need to know what it is to walk with you. And Jesus, we love you. We just can't wait to see what you're going to do. And we just thank you for your love. Amen.